What uh, what is the name of the Skype tune? Does anyone know? La, da, 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 it's very it it's words. It's very it words. It's very Loretta Young show. <laughs> slum, 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 gullion, slum, gullion. We've got season two of the slum, gullion. Jeff and Scott still host the slum, gullion. I still don't know what that word means. And welcome to the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. I'm Scott Clevenger. Three time zones to my immediate right is Jeff Holland. And today I'm we- I'm so happy right now. Because today <laughs> we are joined by screenwriter, playwright, novelist, essayist, director, actor, painter, lexicographer, father- Carbon-based life form and tool former using Mike and Ike guest as well. He is a former ass jammy and tool using primate Larry Blamire. Welcome, Larry. Yay! Get out! Is he on? Oh, <laughs> thank you guys. Here. It's good to be here. Well, we we're honored to have you. We wanted to have you back for quite a while now, but Jeff poached you for his little side hustle podcast, The Writer's Block. So now you're on the official one and all is well. And like I said before, you have scones, so it's going to be fun. Ah, there will always be scones. <laughs> that that that's, should go on my tombstone. That's the that's the heartbreaking line in that movie. <laughs> Every time it's on TCM, I just cry when they get to the. <laughs> okay, okay. I have to share this because you brought it up. I have a real fast theater story because this brought me, made me think of it. I did a production of State Fair, okay? Yeah. And I don't. And State <laughs> Fair is, for those of you who don't know, quite simply the whitest musical ever. And um, the the only reason that I did it was the guy who directed it is an insane man. He'd done some of my sketch comedy. He asked me to come in and make the show a little weird. He had a fun concept. The whole thing was in an actress's dream. So he was going to be weird with it. I played eight characters, but I had an obsession with a stuffed cod. And the stuffed cod kept popping up with all of my different characters. And at one point, I was playing a cop who was talking to this forlorn act, uh, character. And uh, at one point, I got to say the line. And this is one of my favorite lines I've ever gotten to say on stage. It'll be all right. Hey, would you like a cod? <laughs> I, uh, I can just imagine Pat Boone saying that in the movie. Uh, that that okay was yeah I thought my head the back of my head was a Pat Boone movie that's right yeah yeah that's kind of what I was going for with it I'm not gonna lie I didn't think Pat Boone but that was the area so yeah I'm sorry for that interruption <laughs> that just made me think of hey would you like a cod I'm sorry continue well I don't know what cod are doing in some midwestern state fair I guess they're getting deep fried is what they're doing so we uh, had a musical number with dancing pigs let's just leave it at that let's leave it let's do let's leave it at that. Uh, Let's. Oh, let's. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, as as fascinated as I am uh, by Jeff's uh, theater anecdotes and and their whole genre under themselves, I would like to start uh, by talking about uh, your novel, uh, Larry Doc Armstrong, Suburb on the Edge of Never. Ah. And for ah. for listeners who haven't read the book, uh, and we'll get to shaming them later. Um, how would you there is no shame because they will be discovering something new and cool and they will be forever changed because of this exactly so larry how would you how would you describe it i was about, i was going to that i thought why not have the author do that somebody 
post it? Is it, does it, is, is it a cheat if I go to my Facebook page? Because somebody like, actually posted a description <clears throat> last night. I think it was last night. Um, and they thanked me um, for it. And it was very, it was very generous. And, and then I'm now the funny thing is I'm reading the description and thinking, well, that, gee, that's a great way to describe it. And then I realized that it's, um, in quotes, and so I think that was my description. <laughs> Which yes. it, and it, it, but it says here, filled with mystery, adventure, fifties sci-fi, pulp, horror, absurdity, surrealism, pop culture in general, and more than a hint of satire. And and that's in quotes. So I'm going to assume that maybe I actually came up with that. I, I whoever did is obviously brilliant. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> well. I personally, I love the book. Uh, it was that weirdest of all literary hybrids, a laugh-out-loud page-turner. It was hilarious <laughs> and suspenseful. I don't know how you did that, but I'm, going, I'm laughing. I'm going, wait, what happens next? Um, and as much That's as good. I didn't think that that was possible, I'm not, you, may have, you may have invented that genre. Someone but, else mentioned that, too. And, and uh, that, uh, I think it might have been Tim Lucas um, that, that, that it might be sort of a new genre. Um, which is which is kind of neat. Well, he would know. <laughs> Tim 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 Lucas of uh, Video Watchdog fame. For yes, yes. He would. He's certainly he's certainly genre savvy. I'm going to start by asking you a really unfair question to ask any writer. This pries the lid off the rusty uh, coffee can and peers into your process a little bit. But Uh-oh. just just <laughs> the the suspense generated by the goofiness that was happening makes me wonder. Did you plot this thing out exhaustively or were you making it up as you went? Because it feels it felt like it really either one could be true. It would. You know, it, it was a little bit of both. It was mm-hmm. sort of a, um, a, a sort of a split personality to the structuring where where I would I would go, oh, this is this is good right here. And then and then I I do a quick outline, which I often do, you know, in a spiral notebook. I'm going like, oh, and that's next and that's next and next. And then I've got five the next five chapters. But then I don't know where I'm going. And um, and then I sort of, you know, you sort of feel your way. And then I, then you get that sort of thing again where there's a where there's um, where there's a, a, an incident or a chapter that that dictates the next four or five. Um, but it, it was so it was sort of both processes. It was both feeling my way and trusting there was a certain I mean, I've never written a novel before and there was a certain weirdness to to flying blind a lot of the time. And and. Um, yeah, I, this feels right, and and uh, creativity has always been weird to me. It's still weird, and and um, and you sort of trust in it, and sometimes you have faith in it, and it kind of it falls into place because it was supposed to, because the whole thing was already existing in the future. So I was just tapping that future. Ah, I think uh, William Goldman was uh, wrote once about his first novel, which I think was called Temple of Gold, which was inspired by uh, a viewing of um, Gunga Din on TV late at night. And he was he up to then he'd been a, a short story writer and mm. he really hadn't been that successful at it. So he just started trying to write a novel, had no idea, didn't know entirely where he was going to go. And he said at one point he was like on page 80, 90. And I, and I looked at the manuscript and I goes, well, I don't, I don't know where I am. I just know I've never been here before and I don't know where I'm going. Was it, was it weird to work in a long form? Would, did, did, the, did the chapters start yeah. off feeling like stories or did you just have the whole bigger story? In your head? Yeah. 
It, well, it was weird. I mean, it, 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 first of all, I had never, I never thought I'd write a novel. Um, never really expected that because I've always felt that, gee, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's something it's it's there's a sort of bigness to it that you know screenplays are so shorthanded because because of the way they are they're visuals and um and dialogue and um uh and there's a certain um um largeness that that is intimidating but once i got into it i realized that uh that i I, this is okay i just i'm just going to say what's happening in my mind what i'm seeing here and and uh and so it kind of it kind of flowed along, and I uh, it, when you have the characters like that that are so familiar, um, sort of feel like family, and and I have a good handle on what you know what's funny about Crowbar, and I pictured Andy Parks, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, yeah, I had to, you know, yeah. I mean, and 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 Lattice, what's funny about her in the kitchen as opposed to Andy in the uh, Crowbar in the in the living room chair. Um, and again, I'm picturing Susan McConnell, you know, and yeah. and that's 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 a wonderful sort of three dimensionality right there, and and it helps it helped me to really bring them to life um, uh, on the on the on the page, you know, and but the in, what you mentioned about the suspense, I'm glad of that because I feel like even like Trail of Screaming Forehead, which before we came on here, Jeff was talking about, uh, I, I even though you know it's goofy, it's silly, it's funny, but I. But I still want there to be a suspense to everyone in town is going away. They're all kind of, you know, um, they're disappearing. They're becoming other people. They're not there anymore. And 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 you still want it to be, you still want it to have that aspect. You want it to have have that engine driving it, even though everything's silly. Even Lost Skeleton, I mean, it, it has certain, I, I think, a certain, um, um, you know, uh, there's, there's a, a an anxiety and a need among the characters that helps to drive it along. Um, and even though it's absurd with this, I was able to draw on my love of, um, of, uh, pulps, especially Doc Savage pulps, obviously. And, um, and the feeling of the feeling of uh, adventure and, and the unknown what's around the corner, a feeling of dread. And, and so couple that with, with the complete suburban insanity. The great thing about it for me was there is that sort of creative Perelman-like uh, manipulation of the language that you do in the dialogue of the, let's, let's call them the, the Lost Skeleton movies. And now you get you get that in the prose as well. So it's this whole sort of twisted language that, yeah. that nonetheless sort of draws you in. I mean, it's, it's just, just the descriptions themselves are funny. But you said something about the characters that I think is really interesting because something else that the book demonstrated, again, is just how resilient, how elastic these characters are. I mean, in Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, everybody starts off as, if I may say, deliberately stock archetypes from a grade Z sci-fi flick that was designed to, you know, fill out the bottom half of a dusted on drive-in triple feature. With your character, Dr. Paul Armstrong, anchoring the whole thing as, you know, basically Peter Graves in any given Roger Corman movie. (laughs) (laughs) Then these same characters, with some minor adjustments and some additions of other characters, migrate to the sequel, Lost Skeleton Returns Again, which is like which is like a cheap knockoff of any given jungle adventure. And everybody still themselves, even though they're in a different genre, although Dr. Dr. Armstrong has kind of left Peter Graves back in civilization where he belongs and has sensibly turned into Stuart Granger. 
<laughs> which I think is just probably a survival technique. And now, now in the novel, everybody is back. Again, the Armstrongs, the aliens, one of the Brads, um, living in a Leave It to Beaver suburb. And Dr. Paul has evolved once again, this time, <laughs> this time to become a two-fisted polymath in the mode of Clark Savage Jr. But he's still basically the same guy. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but I mean, these characters are so that that's why there was suspense, because you, I've known these characters since the first movie. They're basically yeah. the same people, even though they they're all they're in wildly different sto stories and story types. So you really don't want them to be consumed by extra dimensional shrubbery. No, because and, and, right. And, and they're, they're very familiar to. And you mentioned Leave it to Beaver because that's a good example. No one wants to see. Well, the Leave It to Beaver, you picture Leave It to Beaver's world with his friend Larry and everything, you know, and 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 and, uh, and Eddie Haskell and all those. And suddenly, you know, there's a there's a surreal alien invasion and takeover happening in their neighborhood. That's disconcerting, you know, and that, that's because they're so they're, that's a safe place, you know. All right. If I can blow a little, if I can blow a little smoke up your ass for a uh, second oh, on, a, on a on a different on a different medium, uh, <laughs> like you said, I just recently watched um, Trail of the Screaming Forehead, and one of the things that I thought was so cool about it, talking about you know, the tension, is one of the things that I thought really really worked about the movie is I thought it was again through your word salad, I thought it was an amazing twist of both the, you know, the 50s invasion of the body snatchers it did have that you know the people are disappearing kind of thing with with the how to describe it um schlockiness of of uh horror of party beach or you know that type of thing i thought that was a real nice as silly as that film was it did still it did actually it have the the 50s invasion of the body snatcher vibe to it and yet it looks like it was shot by Hitchcock during, you know, in his Birds era. That's it. Right. That is what is so effing cool about you, Larry, the way you just blend everything together into <laughs> one new thing. Well, you know, it's funny. Mike, uh, Mike Schlesinger uh, called it, what he, re he referred to it right at the start. He, he called it Douglas Sirk's Invasion of the Bodies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. It does have that. I mean, it really, you know, I, I, I just saw, you know, the candy colored, comic book colors popping out but at the same time i was showing uh, uh uh shots from from the old outer limits show some conrad hall stuff because i wanted there to be that sort of unbalanced looking thing like like hm Winant at the podium addressing his fellow foreheads hmm. and, and it's you're looking up at him in a kind of uh uh almost a, a church uh, looking shot you know so so it has that that you know a little bit of a conrad hall look at yeah. times too it's funny. I always think of I. This is off topic, but I always think of of Andy Parks in Trail of the Screaming Forehead as playing the Leo G. Carroll role in Tarantula. No, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. Yeah, it's poor mute. You know, he is he, he is um only uh, forehead. Mike, there are times when you know how it is with you know movies are like your your children, and you kind of. You know that's my favorite. No, that's my favorite, and you you don't want to pick a favorite. But right. there are times when Trail of Screaming Forehead is my favorite, um, and I realize that that um, that really he is Andy Park's character is the if there's a tragic character in, oh, yeah. in any of uh, my movies, it's it's that it's that guy. You know, mm -hmm. Doctor Philip Latham. He really is the, the classic flawed 
tragic character, you know, which which I didn't like. I didn't intend to do. I mean, I didn't set up <laughs> that. It just kind of happened. But you know, he has a little speech under a tree there, which is which is a sort of a, a pseudo Shakespearean uh, soliloquy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think by that point, in this, when I was writing the script, I obviously knew that's where he was heading. Yeah, you do. You do feel legitimately bad for him, and it's and in, of course he 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 earned so much affection in in the previous films that um, mm. I think that's that's part of it. But yeah, he is he's a very sad character. He really does not deserve by any means no. what happens to him. Um, this, this brings up uh, another weird tangent. But um, a couple of weeks ago, it was the 30th anniversary of Stuart Gordon's From Beyond. And Yay. I was chatting mm. online with Barbara Crampton about it. And oh, you bastard. How <laughs> how one of the meta elements that I subtextually enjoyed um, was how she graduated from playing the damsel in distress in Gordon's reanimator to the mad <laughs> scientist or or at least a scientist who goes mad in from beyond. And that got me thinking that you basically did the same thing with Faye Masterson in trail of the screaming forehead. Oh, by golly. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. She was getting car- carried around by the mutant in in uh, La Skeleton, and, and yeah. she's the mad doctor in Trail of the Screaming Forehead. Yeah, yeah. She is. She couldn't be any farther from Betty in, in Forehead. And I think it's it, – it, I'm pretty sure, talking to Faye, it, it, that it's her favorite of the, the stuff she's done for me. Um, and I, 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 I love what she does in that role. And oh. um, it was funny because – uh, and I probably have said this in interviews before, but she um, she was pleasantly surprised that she could just talk like herself. She didn't have to do American as she often will do, and right. in, and um, uh, and she was able to sort of you know make it make it close to home, make it herself, which was neat. But yeah, I I, I like uh, I like her character. Oh, she's she's brilliantly funny. Well, everybody is. But uh, did you did you deliberately try to cast people against the types that they had played in the previous? Yeah, movies? It's, yeah, and it's it's the anti the anti Hollywood thing where you you aggressively you aggressively cast against the thing they last played, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to to you know the typecasting, which all too often happens. Um, but you know you've got a good stock company, and let them go. You know, let them. Uh, let them let them rip and have fun. Um, so everybody is is uh, quite a bit different. I mean, look at Brian Howe compared to you know Dr. Roger Fleming, yes. goofily, lovably heroic, and um, as Big Dan Freider. Yeah, uh, Dan never really plays a smart character, though, does he? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, there there we used to have debates about who's the dumbest character in Forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough because Droxy is you know oh, yeah 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 train trust and. Uh, but Dutch seems to to run away with it pretty much. You know, I think he's probably the dumbest character in there. So he has that distinction. <laughs> so I guess he wins. Yeah. Uh, speaking of online things, I was uh, somebody was talking about uh, parody movies, and they mentioned uh, Lost Skeleton. I said I don't really think that's a parody, and I got I got oh pish posh. But setting aside for a moment your work in other genres in media. Uh, I have to say this one thing, I, I, just focusing on your comedy for a moment, that's one of the things I really love about it is, okay, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to use the word referential because that puts it in the vein of something that like, like just another team mo- movie, which is a parody where you won't get the jokes if you haven't seen the source material. Whereas I think right. someone could enjoy Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, even if they'd never seen 
a Bronson Canyon three-day wonder from the late 1950s. Yeah. Mary and I were watching, so I wish I could remember. These stories would be so much better if they were at all specific or on point. But uh, we were watching some old movie and some, some moment happened and she said, oh, Larry must have seen this. I said, well, Larry's seen everything. <laughs> so of course he has. But there's this, there's this synthesis. There's this element of illusion in your work that reminds me of James Joyce and Ulysses or... Joyce DeWitt and Three's Company, one of the classic Joyces. <laughs> and I guess what I guess the point I'm groping for is um, when I, I I've heard people call you know Lost Skeleton films or Dark and Stormy Night parodies, but I don't think they are. I would say I would use the word pastiche. I I would think well, you're you're yeah. working you're working in the style of a particular film, not just mocking them. I mean, Dark and Stormy well, Night works as a comedy whether you've seen Old Dark House or Cat in the Canary or Bat Whispers or whatever, right? When you say yeah. You know that's yeah that's a good point and I think it reminds me that Brian always said when we made the first movie he 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 was always saying in interviews um, we we didn't make a spoof of a of a grade Z movie we made a grade Z movie mm-hmm. and and um, uh, it, you know it also reminded me what you just said I hear a lot oh you got this from that and and no actually uh, there were a lot of times when when I didn't um, it, it, there. It, a lot of the um, the elements in, in Lost Skeleton seem familiar, and they're familiar because the, the, I absorbed all these movies when I was a kid. But there weren't that many like, oh, there's a little nod to this movie or a nod to that movie. You know, uh, the closest. I mean, you know, Animala. It, it looks a lot like the the women in Cat Women of the Moon. You know, but mm-hmm. but other than that, uh, you know, there aren't really a lot of things that were. I, I didn't want to go. Oh, look, that's what John Agar did in Tarantula or something like right. that. You know. Um, because I wanted it to to be like, we just found this movie. Look. And so it's not, you know, it's not all like just derivative. Here's from this. This is from that. Um, it was more fun to to sort of, you know, create it from the from the ground up. Well, that that's what I mean when I say prestige, that you're wor- you're working with yeah. those tools, but you're not you're not recreating moments. You're not yeah. parody moments. That's it. Uh, the film's. Are all, are all greater than the sum of their inspirations, but mm-hmm. but you here here's the thing, um, people used to go on about and it's, still do about how painstakingly Mel Brooks tried to recreate the the uh, you know the James Well Frankenstein Gestalt in Young Frankenstein, getting the the strict fatty and equipment and the film stock. I think why people who don't think about it just default to to regarding these films as parodies is that mm-hmm. um the directing and the cinematography in the films are spot on evocations of the source material but the writing the characters and the stories don't rely on familiarity with the inspiration material for their effect yeah would you say that's true yeah yeah i think that's a good that's a good way to put it yeah the look of dark and stormy night if you have the sound off there are certain scenes where you would look at it and you go, oh, oh, you know, that's just something playing on Turner Classic Movies for Halloween. Right. It, it right. looks, you know, it looks good. Which is great. I, I, I like that that's effective in that way. Now, I'm glad that you guys, or that Scott, that you brought up Dark and Stormy Night because um, this is a brief story, but I have some more smoke to blow up Larry's ass. You see, here's the deal here. This time you get to ask the thought-provoking questions, and um, I just stroke his ego. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I showed a friend of mine, Dark and Stormy Night, 
and I did not tell them who made it. And I had them convinced for a good half an hour after we were done with the film that it was from the 30s. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. They're not, uh, he's not as film savvy as I am. He has seen a lot of films, but he has seen a lot of old films. But yeah, I totally had him. He totally thought it reminded him. He thought it was like a knockoff of the old Dark House, which right. he had seen. So I, got, I had him for a half hour before I showed him uh, my copy of Lost Skull. And I'm like, yeah, I know this guy. And he, he wanted me to tell you that you have a new fan. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. I, 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 I watched it in color recently. Now I, it's probably only the second time I've seen it in color since, since doing uh, uh, the the DVD. But um, but you know I, I and I have to say I enjoyed it um, in a different kind of way. Uh, and and I think uh, Bill Russell did a terrific job, my editor there. And uh, it, it you know it, the colors are pleasing and they they they're convincingly thirties looking. So that was kind of that was kind of interesting, but I this time watching it, I appreciate you know there's little little things about performances that um, that you uh, uh, just th that the actors little things the actors do that and I, I I just get a kick out of that all the little details. I do have to say I th I think that one if I had if I had a very large um, handgun or samurai sword to my head and I had to pick a favorite, I think Dark and Stormy is my favorite. Ah. Yeah, just because I do have a thing for old '30s movies, and yeah. out of all that, just that just feels so '30s. Good. I can say, well, well, I again, I, I have the same. Even though they're not my children, I have the same problem you have. I, 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 I <laughs> vacillate on which are, which is my favorite from. Yeah, but it does have my my absolute favorite, uh, Blamire esque name. Oh, Seton Ethelquake. <laughs> i've thought about this way too much and that's my favorite that was uh it was fun when when they were checking the names uh for legal on on dark and stormy it's such a you know i make it easy on the producers <laughs> they you know they didn't find any of those names anywhere in the world except one and really? we changed yeah. happy Happy Codburn became Happy Codburn, I think, or is it the other way around? It anyway, the other way around. <laughs> the other way around. Codburn became Codburn, C-O-D burn, and and there was actually a Happy Codburn somewhere in the United States. Other than that, though, we're pretty, you know, we're pretty safe. Sebastian Fanmore, you're not going to find her. No. <laughs> so I did watch the uh, the color version of it once. Yeah. And am I making this up, or is the Phantom cost uh, outfit purple? It is purple. That's I. And it, as soon as that came on, it was. I thought that's perfect because every time I've seen that kind, you know, anytime there, somebody was wearing that sort of, you know, satiny, uh, hooded outfit, for some reason yeah. my mind always made it purple, even though they're all in black and white. So, yeah, and it's interesting in the climax. Um, and I won't say who the phantoms are in case someone's listening to this and hasn't seen it yet. But there, yeah. the two phantoms in the chamber at the in the climax look like they're they're in different colors even though they're in the exact same color, simply because of the, the light that's on them. One of them looks very much a, a reddish purple, and the other one is very much in the blue territory, um, which I hadn't really noticed before. But uh, it, they, were, they were the same uh, basic uh, material and, and, and color. So it wasn't, it wasn't the actor's different coloring? <laughs> no. Okay. Nobody's acting. It was all color. 
<laughs> now, random tangent off to a different thing. Now, I admit I am not on the social medias as much as I used to be, so I may have missed updates on this. But um, I believe, if I am not mistaken, there was coming or has come or will be coming more Western horror. Yeah, you are correct. Um, I, I finally am getting to it. And um, uh, now that that reminds me, I have there, there's there's a funny thing with writing that there should be a name for it. It's a kind of a some f- form of um, creative spillage where you're writing. I was writing tales of tales of the Calamo Mountains, my Western horror stories. I was I was writing them in succession, and um, it became the first volume. And then another one came to me, and then another one came to me, and I thought, well, hey, there's now I have there's more, I don't know, four or five maybe more stories after I had just assembled the first book. And this this seems to be a common thing with me. Uh, 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 Scott, I don't know if you, you know, you write a script and then and, and you're getting to the towards the end of it, maybe in act three or something. And you start thinking of the next one or there's this other one coming towards you, yeah. flying at you. And you have a certain so you come off the end of that. The same with the novel, by the way, my doc novel. When I got yeah. to the end of that, I already had the second one. I wrote three chapters of the next one because uh-huh. I, it was it, well, I was still I was in that groove and it was like coming flying at me. And then what happens invariably is that uh, I got to do a gig now. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I got to make some money. I can't. And then you're left with. So I'm left with three chapters of the next doc. Now I'm left with four or five Calamo Mountain Western horror stories that that was sat there. And um, and with Calamo, finally, I, 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 I don't know why it just sort of the time felt right. And uh, in the past, you know five or six months I the other sort these other stories started coming to me and I realized finally you know I'd have enough so I've got 14 stories I'm actually on the on the final story now uh folks more whoring here if you have not read tales of the Calamo mountains this is something that you must seek out purchase the book flip the pages you 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 want to do this trust me on this buy the book <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. I uh, to paraphrase the test pattern colored hero of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, <laughs> when it comes to horror, my needs are singular. Um, I, I I don't like slasher movies. Jeff Jeff and I've had this discussion before, or, or yep. anything with serial killers or cannibals, yep. or, or really anything in which the horror is generated by a person, or by a human being, because that just confirms my pessimistic view of human nature. And, <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't find being scared under those circumstances cathartic. I find it depressing. However, I love yes. monsters and I love psychological horror, poetic horror, the moody horror of the unseen, which is why I love Tales of the Calamo Mountains. Here we go. The Dark Arms, the, the dark, dark Armstrong and the Clan in a Spaghetti Western. Wait a minute. Doc Armstrong and? And the Clan. All the characters, you put them in a spaghetti type Western. Oh, for seconds, I thought you meant you were gonna. You wanted Doc Armstrong to fight the Ku Klux Klan. That's exactly what I. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. <laughs> Which would be so weird. Um, yeah, yes. Doc Armstrong I, in I, Roger I Corman's The Intruder. Exactly. Now, now that now that, the, that we got the triple K out of there, tell me that again. <laughs> Doc Armstrong and his clan, not the clan, his clan, <laughs> in a spaghetti western. Oh, and a spaghetti. Oh, okay. Okay. I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
Although I think it. Doc Armstrong fighting the clan might be funny. <laughs> You'd have to do a time travel thing because Doc, you know, Doc is, is an up to the minute, absolutely modern hero from 50 years ago. Exactly. What's exactly. wrong with time travel? That's correct. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. That just popped into my head and I had to throw it. <laughs> well, we'll right. while we're on the topic then. So you, you were planning to write another a, a follow up to the uh, to Doc Armstrong uh, suburb, suburb on the edge of never? Yeah, I uh, well, I was. I don't know. Um, it, see, the thing is that uh, the 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 novel, you know, it's a it's a commitment of time. I mean, I'm, sure. I I know there are novelists who whip them out, and I, I just can't uh, do it quite like that fast. And uh, so it's a time commitment that, and 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 you know, I publish it myself. Now, there's a certain limitation there um, in the reach of the book, and and you know, it's on Amazon. I mean, but. But there's not, you know, there's not marketing. I mean, I'm not, you know, there's except for me on social media, essentially. Right. And so it's not quite, I, I don't know if I can justify it, paying for my time. And I have it. I'd love to do another one. Um, but this has made me think about looking for a publisher for, for the doc books for, you know, and I, if I had one, I, I might, you know, turn them out steadily. Uh, and I'm actually thinking about it with Tales of the Calamo Mountains, too, wondering if, there's a horror publisher that it might, you know, behoove me to seek out that could um, that could reach a, a broader audience. You know, this is something I'm, I'm thinking about anyway. That's definitely worth thinking about. I mean, I I know of people who have, um, you know, self-published and then had another had a book published, and, and in some cases, their first book was was then published by the same house. So, yeah, it's de- it's yeah. definitely worthwhile. Um, do yeah. you have Do you have a title for the for the new collection of stories? Uh, the new collection is, is uh, more tales from uh, more tales of the Calamo Mountains. Well, you were going out on a limb with that, but okay. <laughs> it was a, there was a uh, hours and hours of uh, of creative uh, brainstorming to come up with that title, and then and, it and tells then have, you exactly what you're getting. So, all right, would okay. you like to hear the, the story titles? Yes, absolutely. Ooh, hell yes. This would be here. This would be this would be sort of a, a first here. Uh, oh. I think I made I might have made some of these public last year though, but. Uh, the stories are The Man from the Fires. And, and by the way, that was actually, that's the only one that was published. That was in uh, Mark Redfield's um, magazine, Poe Forevermore. And I'm probably going to do a little bit of a brush up a rewrite on it before. But uh, The Man from the Fires, The Mouth of the Shy Lee, Quiet Farm, The Arrest of Mr. Polymer, The Overhang, uh, Sherivari, The Valley of Capper Crab, Bar none, the inn with nine corners, heliograph station number twenty-four, bright hawk takes a walk, the trappers, gloony fix it, and the last one is two lone riders. So that's the Ooh. heliograph station number twenty-four sounds like a great western serial. <laughs> in with nine corners is the title yeah. that grabbed me that's, that's very what? that's very hawthorne like but it's funny when you yeah. were reading this having read the first book when you said quiet farm i thought "Ooh, that one's gonna scare me <laughs> <laughs> you know there's one thing that i um if there's a sort of rule for these for me it's that uh no no story looks forward to another um I, I like the mood to shift, the tone. I, I like to have the, the protagonists very different. Uh, might be a group of people, or might be a single person, um, or, or and 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 the type of person they are. You know, 
uh, a farmer and outlaw. I mean, I, I, I like to shake it up because I don't want to. I, I don't want it to be, you know, a Western gunfighter who's a vampire at night or so. I don't want it to be sort of traditional Western. I want it to feel like it's really in the, in in a real old West that never existed. And uh, and I, I just feel like the variety when you finish a story, then if there is variety, you have no idea what's coming next. And that's my goal. I don't want. In fact, the cover picture has, it doesn't even doesn't even show uh, um, uh, one of the stories. It's not. Uh, depicting one of the stories because I didn't even want the cover to give anything away. Oh, you posted the cover, right? Or an element of it? Oh, oh, uh, yeah, it was a detail in pro in progress. It's still, I'm still working on it, but I want to finish that last story first and then get back to it and finish it. Um, uh, but it was just a figure from that. Yeah. Detail. All, all I was going to say is that th th this will be another single sitting read because I blazed through that first book. Really? Single sitting? I'm impressed. I, well, I, I have this thing, Scott. I've talked to Scott about this. I've got this really weird thing that if a book grabs me like immediately, like within the first like five to ten pages, yeah. I have this Evelyn Wood speed reading thing <laughs> that kicks in and I can finish a book within a couple of hours. Like I can finish a normal sized paperback within two to three hours. Wow. Full retention. I don't know what it is, but it has to grab me immediately. And um, Tales from the Columbia Mountains did. I, I finished it in one sitting. I couldn't stop it. Ooh. And I read it at night too, which was the perfect time for it. I think the only uh -huh. time I stopped it was when I went downstairs to get some coffee. <laughs> oh, I, I did the opposite. I, I parceled it out. With an eyedropper, I I would not let myself read more than one story at a time. So that was the second reading. It. Ah, the second time was, was the savoring. The first time was just I was a glutton. I admit it. Did you have a favorite story in there, or am I, I don't want to put you on the spot? I mean, it, 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 if it's been a while ago, it, it, I I must admit it has been a while ago. But I swear to God, Larry, that I loved everything in that book. Thank you. I have not read a lot. I have not read a lot. I am woefully ignorant on Westerns, I freely admit. As a matter of fact, I have used your various tweets and Facebook posts to mm -hmm. educate myself on the genre. Yeah, well, it's funny, and I love Westerns, uh, good ones, not the bad no, ones. I have, no, right? I have to thank you for that, seriously, because, you, because <laughs> of you, I actually have become more of a fan of the genre. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. And I, I love Western movies and Western TV, uh, so much that I hate a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> I'm really picky. However, none that's of these the thing stories. is you gave me because of you, I've seen all the best shit. Oh, good. <laughs> that's how I feel. I, because of you, I've seen the best shit. I had never heard of Dakotas. Oh, uh, that was whatever. I, I never expected that to be released. That was amazing. And, uh, you know, um, um, that was, that was a pleasant surprise from Warner brothers. But, but I was going to say these, these stories, however, are not inspired in any by 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 TV shows or by movies, and they are. I try to keep them as far away from the TV or movie depiction of the Old West as possible, as if they were more in that actual time. You know, mm -hmm. um, they're more. I look at them more as 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 folk tales in a way, dark folk tales. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I I think that's what. That's the one thing that grabbed me when I, like I said, that first story, I felt like it was for me, I had discovered like an entirely new genre. <laughs> you know, that first story just totally swept over me. And I'm like, 
I'm in something new. I love this. Take me away. And like three hours later, I was going, oh, shit. <laughs> I think. OK, I, I'm done. <laughs> I think my favorite right now. And, and I, it, it, again, it, it tends to change depending on the, the last time I read the book. And uh, title is going out of my head. Yeah, one, I'm horrible with names. That's the, a bad thing. The, the one where the young woman's in the cabin, the older woman in the corner in the Oh, baby. the mountain. Yeah. I mean it's creepy, but it doesn't it doesn't have a let's let's say a downer ending necessarily. It's one mm-hmm. of the ones where you where I wasn't surprised by the ending. It's one of the few, but it was one where I was desperately hoping for that to be the ending. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. And I you know, I, I don't see why you watch I, I i love watching horror and I, we all do and and uh meaning we all we three here i but i find so often that really you have to go there you don't have to yeah come on we don't have to you go through this dark adventure this dark thing and it has then it has this dark ending yes and i feel like you know just because it's hard doesn't mean it has to have a dark ending where oh what a, there's a twist and everybody suddenly dies and you know it's uh, it, it, to me, it's it, it's a bit of a cop out, um, especially when I, I was watching something not too long ago where it was sort of this grueling battle between, you know, the the, the protagonists and the forces of the unknown, and and it's grueling, and it's just then they get to the end of it and uh, destroy this monster, and then we see outside that there's like a thousand more, and it's sort of oh okay, it's hopeless. All right, thank you. Or or it's pointless. <laughs> what you just watched. It's, right. It seems like yes, just for the sake of a twist. Uh, yes. It's like what, what you know? Hey, Aristotle. What about the, what about the epiphany at the end? Why? It's just it, so many. That's the thing about horror is for the sake of a twist, or or as we were talking about on the last show when uh, Jeff was discussing Halloween, and I was talking about how much I hate hate it just because the the fake out death of the monster became obligatory mm. from then on. Yeah, yeah. It's just. Horror, so much of horror is just nihilism. And yeah, who, who yeah. Uh, and I, I, I've, I've looked at it in the last couple of years as something, because um, I try to dissect it. You know, I, I, I do this all the time. And and why? Why am I, why am I like, turned off by this? And it's that the best horror movies, even, like, one of my favorites is John Carpenter's The Thing, which mm-hmm. I think is a masterpiece. And there's, it's desperate, it's dire, it's full of mounting dread, but there's always hope and i feel like if a if a if a horror movie is hopeless there's no point yes exactly i mean at the end you can say well they're they're all hopefully hopefully going to die (laughs) but it doesn't because he's going to freeze to death doesn't mean he didn't win exactly exactly and we don't even know what since it's left open even then we don't know if that's the case yes um uh and, and so it wasn't like for instance if it were done today, it might be that one there, you got the two guys sitting there, and then suddenly one of them go, you know, <laughs> goes morphs and and engulfs the other one. Well, that would be the final shot. There would be a yeah. freeze frame on the creature yeah. as it does its last yeah. right into the camera. Right, and that's yeah. the difference. That's the difference between um, between nihilism and ambiguity. I'm okay with ambiguity. Yeah, me too. Because yeah. amb- ambiguity trusts the audience. Ambiguity makes the audience part of it. You can decide for yourself. But I freely, I freely admit, while, while I always made the joke with Mike and Ike that they respect any movie that's willing to kill off its entire cast of characters, <laughs> as, mu- 
as much as I personally enjoy watching horror, even the shit, I would like a happy ending occasionally. It would be a nice cathartic release after all the crap that goes through it. Yeah, especially it, if I if I occasionally like the characters, which is also yeah, rare in horror. Yes, and and not even a happy ending, um, because that it, it's not necessarily. It's just it's like is does Jaws have a happy ending? I mean, it's you know, I mean, Quint. I love Quint. Quint's a great character. And he he dies this this uh, you know this horrific you know death there, um, the worst death for him possible, the death he swore he'd never die. Yes, and it's yes, and it's a profound death. And and then then you got the two guys, they they they, the two others have have survived. I mean, it's not you know it's hard to call that a happy ending, but it is a neutral ending at least. It's not like a you're gonna feel like crap walking out of the theater ending. Mm-hmm. They won. I think the word yeah. is it, it's satisfying. Yeah. It's satisfying. Well, satisfying. Yeah, because there there should be costs to defeating evil. I mean, it's right. I mean, Jaws. It's a stretch to say it's evil, but but there is sort of a almost a supernatural element sure. oh, to yeah. to that shark. So it shouldn't be you. You should suffer. I mean, people are going to suffer casualties yep. in the fight against evil. In Attack of the Crab Monsters, the price we pay is Russell Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a heavy, heavy price indeed. It's steep. It's pricey. Yes. Um, wasn't he in, wasn't he in, okay, you guys can help me. I'm trying to remember the name of this movie. I'm about 98% sure that Mystery Science Theater did it in the sci-fi years. Um, it's Jack Arnold. I think it was Space Children. Yes. he's. Uh, he's was a, Russell Johnson the abusive dad in that? Yes, I believe he's the alcoholic uh, stepdad. Okay, sorry, just that my mind went there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I hadn't seen that, so I don't remember him in that. Um, was it Russell Johnson uh, with with his with his uh, uh, always always white, bright, freshly bleached white shirt? Sort of one of the visual inspirations for Paul Armstrong. Oh yeah, and Peter Graves, and the, the white shirt, and usually with the cuffs rolled up just yep. a bit, just a bit, because, because he's a, he's not an egghead. He's smart, but he's a regular guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Roll up your sleeve. So he's like, he's got a blue white collar. Let's call it. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, speaking of that, uh, let me, let's switch gears here real quick. When I first read about Steam Wars, when you were first talking about it, I thought, oh, cool. Something like, you know, Carol Zaman's The Fabulous World of Jules Verne. And then I started seeing it. And then, then when I read the comic books, certainly there are elements of that. But uh, but I think because of the Victorian connection, uh, steampunk is often sort of, you know, refined and twee and be monocled. Um, and what I love yep. about Steam Wars is how it gets its hands dirty. It's it's greasy and working <laughs> class with a touch of that Howard Hawks professional men under pressure vibe that I, I think really does, again, does something new with the genre. Well, thank you. I uh, That's exactly what I, I wanted it to be, gritty blue collar sci-fi. And, um, uh, and I was talking with someone a couple of days ago about Steam Wars and and um, that they mentioned that we were talking about how, you know, you've got one of the protagonists working his way up as a stoker, which is a miserable and hazardous, thankless task. And and he he called it sort of Dickensian. And I said, yeah, with a with a hint of Melville, you know, how you mm-hmm. you have that uh, that feeling of, um, you know, the, the guy, the, 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 the guys working, for instance, the guys working under Ahab, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty miserable. Um but but that that's the kind of feeling I wanted, and and you're right about steam. So much of steampunk is uh, tends to 
um, portray the elegance. Uh, and I, I, I've always seen it as a um, as a sort of adventure slash war story first. And it's just that the method of war happens to be uh, outrageously different, but I think visually ex- and, and viscerally exciting. I, I, I think that following a crew, you know, in one of these steam rigs, following their trials and tribulations and how difficult it is, it's like almost a, a gut reaction to to science fiction getting so technolo- technologically complex that it's like it's like a retreat from that. It's the ultimate retreat from that. It couldn't be any farther from that. I keep going back to the my love of those old those thirty serials where they've got the strict fatty and Jacob's ladder and the you know everything's a big mechanical switch and they've and and uh-huh. massive vacuum tubes, that kind of machine age science fiction because it's it's less like the world now now i look at science fiction it just makes me you know i'm sure it's how my grandparents felt when they first tried to program their vcr clock (laughs) so i i do i do love that about steam wars let's uh for people who again for who uh people who may not know steam wars uh is a screenplay correct that's how it started Uh, it started as a uh well it started as well well actually okay it started as a short story Ah. written in diary form and then i um expanded it from there and i kept building on it over the years as i'm working with other on other things and then i i wrote a screenplay about five years ago now maybe um five or six years ago um and when i partnered with uh jerk media to do the graphic novels it was decided we decided to go but i first thought of making the screenplay the three graphic novels in, in three parts um, but it was suggested to me that what about what happens before that? And that actually turned out to be a good idea because it was an entry point. So those three graphic novels that, 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 that are out are actually a build up to, um, to the movie, mm-hmm. to the screenplay, to the, Ooh. to, yeah, that's very sad. I remember you posted, um, I think maybe uh, a few pages at a time on on Facebook years ago, and, and maybe yes. yep, yep. maybe it amounted like the first fifteen pages, which was thrilling in itself. So I've you know I wanted to see this, and then just just uh, again for people who don't know, it's basically it takes place in an alternate eighteen nineties where wars are fought with what are I guess mechs, giant anthropomorphic. Well, you know, I, I people, yeah, and people say sort of a lot of folks say mechs, and I. Um, and I try to get less modern with the term, so I call them uh, war machines in a more Wellsian, H.G. Wellsian manner, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but they're they're more like tanks that are in the shape of uh, stride, large striding steam-powered warriors, mm-hmm. and they're manned by a crew. Um, one of the one of one of my joys with Steam Wars is the different classifications of, of fighting rigs. Um, and then you've got different countries and, you know, the Prussians have, have, have their own machines, you know, and, and, uh, and the U S is trying to catch up with, with them as far as the size of the machines. And, and then you've got small ones called as a runabout. That's a one man or two man thing. Um, that's only like 12, 13 feet high. Uh, uh, so, but I, I love details and nomenclature like that. Cause I think it's a, it's a big part of world building and it makes everything convincing. If you have 
you know, the, the armaments, uh, how much crew can, can, can this steam rig handle that kind of thing? You know, some, some will have 12 or 14 man crew. Some will have, uh, 26 to 30, you know, um, uh, and it's kind of, that's, that's a lot of fun for me. That's one of the things I loved about it when you were first, um, <laughs> posting things is that the, I think you had a whole glossary and including some yes. of the, some of the, uh, uh, steam forces slang yes <laughs> yeah yes like that's that's some serious world building that is awesome. yeah i know it's a it's it's insane it's obsessive i admit it and it's uh you know and in, in, in you a lot of it's logical instead of shore leave they, they say they're going low okay right low because they're high up in these things and of course when you when you when you actually think about this you know you put yourself in one of these things you're walking along uh, imagining yourself like, let's say you're in, you're, you're the uh, port cranesman. That would be the left arm. Okay, the port cranesman is in the little, in the little uh, cockpit in there, controlling that. It, you, you know, think about that. You know, you're 45, 50 feet up there, striding along. What are your chances? It's mm. pretty, it's pretty dicey. And that's I play with that aspect that they're kind of like considered insane, and they got to be half crazy to be in the steam forces, U.S. steam forces. Well, that's why, yeah, I so want to see this movie just to see what it's like <laughs> inside of one of those machines because yep. it, that, that's the thing. And, uh, yeah, that's one that, something that distinguishes them from what people think of as mechs is that they are crew-served. And they, people are shooting artillery shells through them. And yep. uh, so, you know, it's going to get gross and bloody in there. So it's, it's dangerous and, yeah, as you say, insane. It's, it, uh, a lot of that does come out in the, the – um, uh, graphic novels, which I, I think are terrific. Um, where where can people find those? Uh, they are on Amazon, and um, uh, there's one, two, three of them. And if you and and it's best to if you if you search for Larry Blamire Steam Wars as opposed to just Steam Wars because somebody came out with a a comic book around the same time called Steam Wars, um, oh, which geez. is it's it's which is actually it's very different and it's more of a it's it's almost like a steampunk version of star wars kind of i think mm. what i've seen but mm. it's very different and and uh i'm happy to say so Here, here's what you do folks just go to amazon look up larry blammeyer and just order everything that you don't have <laughs> it's, it's trust me you guys will be happy do it movies books you'll be entertained spend the money you make it sound so easy jeff <laughs> all right make the money then go to amazon and spend the money you'll be glad you did uh speaking of, of uh books what isn't do you have a new blamery coming out yes i did and it did come out and and can they get that at amazon uh, no actually that one oh. i didn't bother to do um an amazon thing i didn't do the uh the barcode or any of that uh i it's on lulu it's just if you if you if you google blamery B-L-A-M-M-A-R-Y, uh, they'll come up, as will my Lulu uh, Spotlight page, which has most of my books on it. And um, the Blamory, the, the new one came about in that same spillage process. We really need a name for this. <laughs> there, I, was, I was writing about... I'm fine with spillage. <laughs> about six months ago, um, I'm writing the, you know, the Blamory uh, number two, more a term, more terms you should know with unrelated illustrations. Uh, I, I got to the end of it, and and I saw that it was about the same pages as the first one. That was good, so I started putting the book together. But they're still coming to me. And I'm writing them down in, in note, little notebooks. I'm writing down. Oh, there's another word. There's another word, and it's basically 
it's it's like a massive absurdist glossary is what this is right and and so i'm writing these down and while i'm publishing the fir- number 2 i see that i've got another there's another oh, 1100 terms yeah, <laughs> so I, it had kept going. The process kept going in my head, and so there was another one there. And and I thought, well, I can't put it out right now, so I put it aside. And then um, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, I started. I picked it up again, and I wrote another couple of hundred entries and and put together Blamory uh, three, yet more terms. And so yes, Blamory three is now available, and um, all three are up there. And as silly as ever, by golly. Oh, they're wonderful! It's it's a, a, a the, the first one. Uh, I, I think I I described it to someone as a hilariously absurdist take on the Devil's Dictionary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a few folks have mentioned the Devil's Dictionary. It's also been called like a, a truly great bathroom book or something like oh, that, which it is. I take as a compliment because that's that's perfect. That's it, yes. it. Really, is something you just pick it up. I mean, there's no order to it. It's alphabetical. It's like it's a little crazy dictionary, and you just pick it up. And kids, uh, take it to school with you if you get in a um, <laughs> argument with your teacher about your creative use of a particular word. <laughs> All right. Well, we have taken up a lot of your time, and for which we are very grateful. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I I, I, I love talking with you guys. So anytime. Oh, terrific. Well, well okay. Since you have said that, I am going to throw this out. That's right. You open your mouth, Larry. Um, as you know, as you know, the second half of the show is our unknown movie challenge where uh, Scott and I look at and go in depth and analyze a movie that we have never seen before. I would like to formally invite you to officially come back to the unknown movie challenge segment and bring a movie for us. Okay, so so I give you, I, I throw a movie at you guys that I love. You guys watch it, and then we get on the show. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. And right. then we yeah. geek out about it. Of course. All right. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Start thinking now. <laughs> we'll bring the scones. Um, I have been wanting to talk officially, just, just, just geek out about a movie with you, Larry, since I first started talking to you in the Mike and Ike days. Yeah, yeah. Just a bullshit about a movie. Yes. And I love movies. Um, I was, uh, uh, last week, I, in fact, I was writing down some movie titles that uh, I was going to make, you know, a, a list on Facebook uh, because I haven't talked movies on Facebook for a while. But And I thought I'd write like 10, 11, 12 titles of movies that I love that are not in my top 10 that you might not be that familiar with. Or you might go, what? Seriously, Larry? <laughs> you, know, you know, I've got some... One of my favorite, well, I'll give you an example. One of my favorite movies is Killdozer. Ah. <laughs> it's a major- yep. Speaking well, of that, Howard Hoxie and Men Under Pressure. But that movie is, it, it's a great blue collar sci-fi movie, first of all. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, it, I love the way it's done. I think the director is Jerry Douglas and it's from a Theodore Sturgeon story. And it, it is a terrific made for TV movie. Uh, I don't even call it a guilty pleasure because I'm I, I don't feel at all guilty. We would be happy to do that. We we did speaking of made for TV movies. We did one of the uh, a no movie challenges we did was Gargoyles. Oh, good, yeah, good one, good one. I love made for TV <laughs> movies. That was sort of the classic era, man. They yeah. they are yeah. uh, uh, it's a treasure trove, and and still more. There's so many more that are not 
on home video yet. A lot of them are. Warner Archives has put out some. But um, there's more. Universal has a lot to answer for. they got a lot to get out there, like Deadly Dream with Lloyd Bridges, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gargoyles is a, is a great example. I mean, you usually hear, you hear Trilogy of Terror, you hear Night Stalker, Night Strangler. But there's so many more that are mm-hmm. so good. Oh, absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so if people want to find you on uh, line in social media and you want to be found, where would they find you? Yep. Under on Twitter. I use the absurd name. You're going to love this. Larry Blamire. On, um, <laughs> oh, what were you thinking, man? I know. But on Facebook, it's Larry Blamire. So there is my twist, right? <laughs> That's I did not that. a so, real name. I know. Right. So, um, you can find me on there. I have a public page on Facebook uh, where I announce stuff. And on Twitter, I'm uh, Larry Blamar too. So those are your basic uh, go-tos right there, folks. And we'll, we'll make sure we put links to um, your stuff in the description this time, won't we, Scott? Yes, we will. That will happen when this yes, when this goes up on our website. You say that like you, you did not do it last time? Is that what happened? We say it like we didn't. It, it's it's <laughs> similar to us not having done it before. We have said we will put links up before, and it hasn't happened. But my fault, usually. Actually, my fault all the time. There better be some links, man. I want some links. <laughs> oh, there'll be links. So we'll give you links that won't even link to your shit <laughs> hey there you go well linked to porn true, hub. in true absurdist manner there you go exactly. <laughs> well and rind appreciation page it makes no sense that i've been rickrolled and yet it does <laughs> <laughs> all right well th- thank you very much for being with us larry we really appreciate thanks. it thanks that was fun thanks to all you guys for listening and we will be back shortly with something else and then at some indeterminate point hopefully in the near future larry will uh, unleash a movie on us so that's something to look forward to it's a and, challenge and, i accept excellent. yay thanks guys it's the unknown movie unknown movie unknown movie challenge it's the unknown movie unknown movie unknown movie challenge it's the unknown movie unknown movie unknown movie challenge that's, that's right, right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie challenge. challenge. It's the unknown movie 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 challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. And welcome back. This time we're looking at another new release. So Jeff and I are joined by the new movie crew, Mary Clevenger. Blanche Ramirez and John Zura. Hey guys. Hey. 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 Uh. <laughs> Hello. I've I've gotten better haze, but okay, that's fine. <laughs> and and today we're talking about Thor Ragnarok, directed by Taika Waititi, written by Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle, and Christopher Yost. I'm going to start, and I'm okay. going to start by saying that this film had the best Bond-style pre-credit action sequence since Goldfinger. <laughs> yes! Yes! I think, actually, Jeff, didn't you, I think you said to me on the phone or in a text or something that you were in love with this movie before the credits actually rolled. Oh, oh, uh, absolutely. You are, you are talking first, so I'll get into why shortly. But yeah, no, that opening scene just, I was, I was, that was it. It was the most intense previously on Thor ever that whole sequence really drives home not only how cool and badass and powerful the hammer is 
but how much Thor relies on it, uh, not only to hit people, although it's great at hitting people, <laughs> lot, lot, lots of people at once. It's it's actually like uh, Oswald's magic bullet. It's the Asgardian, uh, what do you call it, Gatling gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, yes. It's, it's, well, he's always he's, he's always playing in God mode because he's a god. Exactly. Um, yeah, but but it does make it seem like okay to activate. He does need it to activate his powers as God of Thunder. It uses it to summon lightning. Uses it to fly to I, I guess eliminate household pests. So when he loses it, this this is what was so brilliant about this sequence that when he loses it, we don't get annoyed because he's all mopey and emasculated, you know, about losing his big electric phallic symbol. We actually get it. Yeah, we're like, what the. Yeah, well, he's normal now. now. It's like taking the um, the sonic uh, screwdriver from the doctor. Well, like, or the TARDIS from the doctor. Okay. The I think the yeah. thing, I think the, the thing the I pointed. I think the thing I pointed out the best to me during that opening sequence was when he put the hammer inside the mouth of that creature and the creature couldn't move. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. That was yeah. You're not worthy, right, creature? Great. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was like it was like it was like a communion wafer. Hold this on your tongue. <laughs> it was Don't literally sticking a, a, a really heavy communion wafer. Yeah, right. It was literally sticking a pin in it. Just did you just wait there for me a minute? I'll be right back. Exactly. He's used the hammer in two previous movies and and however many Avengers films he's been in, and I think they found more and more clever ways to use it in just that pre-credit sequence. It, it, it became was, a party game in um, Age of Ultron. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, that's true. I forgot about that. That the Captain America nearly won. <laughs> yes, he did. I actually, loved that. There's actually a whole uh, Tumblr culture devoted to that moment in Age really? of Ultron. Yeah, because the 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 theory that fans cling to about that moment is that Cap actually could pick up the hammer. Uh, he he does in fact in the in the uh, comic books and everybody there with the possible exception of um, Black Widow is kind of drunk and they they've established that Cap can't get drunk so oh, that's right the feeling is that he was a, he began it moved when he picked it up and he was so astonished he just like oh uh, nope can't move it because he didn't want to hurt Thor's feelings oh that's such a nice guy. <laughs> And let's face it, Thor, Thor does have kind of fragile feelings for, yeah. for a big godlike guy. He is, he is he's, always... Well, you know, he's not used to hearing no. He's a prince, he's after a, all. He's a pampered little prince. Mm. See, that, that brings up one of the things that uh, I found that was a, a dilemma for me. Not a big one. Uh, a sort of a, uh, not contradictory, but a dilemma by this movie because... In this movie, they made it a whole lot more fun by having Thor having a sense of humor, which he did not have in the earlier movies, mm-hmm. uh, and and also made him more human, which he is not. He is a god. So here we had a, a Thor that stumbles around and knocks things over, just like mm-hmm. a human does. And so it was tough to say, do I like it? Do I not like it? I mean, I really liked it because it made me laugh as a whole movie. But still, that you, that's not the Thor you gave us. So I'm thinking that I'm, I'm thinking that uh, you know having a falafel with the guys will do that to you. <laughs> well, instant. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I read an article, uh, uh, an interview with the director, 
And he actually discusses that, saying how they decided that, you know, to move him forward as a character, that he's spent two years on Earth and that's going to affect you. He's been hanging out with Tony Stark and the guys and everybody, and he's a little bit more, he's adopted more of the human traits. He's not so stilted in his speech and that he's kind of assimilated somewhat. That's what he said. Well, that's that's very interesting because that and what you just said, John, mirrors uh, something that really struck me and has and has stayed with me since seeing the movie. I mean, we talked about this when we did the Ghostbusters show. Chris Hemsworth is very funny, which and that was exploited to great effect in Ghostbusters. And it's great to see that gift put to use in the Marvel Universe, which, unlike DC, is not afraid of comedy. <laughs> but. I think, for me anyway, this was the funniest Marvel movie outside of Guardians of Galaxy, the Galaxy, perhaps because I, that right now that really isn't tied directly into the Marvel universe. That's still sort of its own thing, and and I want to kind of acknowledge how ambitious a thing it is to make that much of that funny of a film with this character. I mean, Tony Stark, sure, he's a smartass. You can be quippy all the way through. Uh, same with Spider-Man, at least in the last film when you, they did it properly. But Thor is, you know, traditionally is the sonorous, bombastic, self-important super Viking. Exactly. And that's what Loki's for. Yeah. Or at least and, he had been in the past. And exactly. Now, and, and there were so and, many laughs. I missed some regular story from laughing so much. You know, I missed the lines after the jokes because I just I, I was just laughing so hard. Yeah. We're gonna, uh, it won't it won't be till home video that we'll exactly know what the <laughs> plot was. But. <laughs> But that's the amazing thing. They, they found a way to, to, to they took all of those characteristics of Thor and they found a way to tune them up just enough that those qualities became funny without diminishing him. I mean, he's still heroic, but he has amusing human flaws. He's vain. He's insecure. He's he can be overconfident. He'll lie his ass off at the drop of a hat to convince someone to help him. And all those things combined to make this alien who could squash any human being like a bug, very human and relatable. So, yeah, I agree with you, John. I, was, I wasn't thrown off by it, but I was amazed by it and, and what it did for the film and what it did for the character. I, I wonder if this heralds a different uh, direction for Marvel. Are they going to continue going at a comic thing? Or is this sort of like the last comic relief before the Infinity Wars films hit, where apparently a lot of people are going to die and stay dead. I think that's definitely possible. And I also think it depends on the director that they get. Mm-hmm. I think this director whose name I won't even try and pronounce because it'll be... You'll do violence to it? I will do violence to it. He's definitely a very... He's a funny guy. He has a very comedic point of view. And I think he really brought a lot of that comedy into, into play. And yeah, I, as is evidenced by that uh, rock character and the, the clips that he was making. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, oh, right, that's right. He he was the voice of Korg. You guys may know this. This is something I knew a long time ago, so long ago that I have completely forgotten it. And I read and uh, I read somewhere someone mentioned it. Uh, Korg, the big rock creature with the working class Kiwi accent, was a nod to Thor's origin because his first appearance in a Marvel comic took place in an anthology book called Journey into Mystery. And the story was titled The Stone Men of Saturn. Oh. Mm. Korg was a character in that. Um, and Korg himself is actually in the Planet Hulk comic book. 
Oh, is he? Yes, he is a character in Planet Hulk. Mind you, he is not comic relief, but the rock creature on on Sakaar is there. They did take a lot of the Planet Hulk storyline for this. Some fans are disappointed that they're not going to get a standalone Hulk movie and it's not going to be Planet Hulk. But other people are thrilled that they actually finally adapted that because that's the most, I think, the most beloved Hulk storyline. I think they did a good job of it. And, and we Hulk got Hulk. we got more dialogue from Hulk than we ever got before. Yes. He's learned to talk. That guy reminded me of the rock creature from NeverEnding Story. <laughs> okay, I get it. A little bit, yeah. So speaking of phallic symbols, um, <laughs> something else that struck me. Oh, I was I was thinking of Thor's hammer. But I'm uh, maybe, maybe I think of it too much. Uh, <laughs> that play that Loki disguised as Odin is watching when Thor first arrives in Asgard made it <laughs> seem like the movie decided to skip a step and just go ahead and do its own porn parody of itself. <laughs> it had that same feel of actors who almost look right, but not quite. And it seemed as if that weepy embrace between Liam Hemsworth and uh, Matt Damon that had gone gone on for like thirty more seconds, we would have had full penetration. <laughs> Liam, that wasn't Liam. Uh, it was one of the Hemsworths. It was the elder. It was the eldest Hemsworth, oh. the one who's on Westworld. Liam oh. is the youngest. Oh, okay. I don't he know all the ones. I don't know my Hemsworths. I have to admit. No, but it one? was funny. It's, it's like the Skarsgårds, the Hemsworth. Well, there's only three Hemsworths, right? A lot of scars guards. The scars guards just keep coming. <laughs> what can we do about it? <laughs> They're an exotic species that are completely destroying our ecosystem. Well, yeah, they were invasive. <laughs> are, they, are they Australians too? It seems like everybody is. <laughs> no. They Scandinavian. I'm, I'm Swedish. Sure. Okay, because because the odds are in, in any group nowadays, one of them, even on this call. One of us is a secret <laughs> Australia. And before the end of the show, I will know which one. My sister-in-law lived in Australia for a little while. Does that count? Uh, well, you've got the taint then. <laughs> An Aussie taint. Aussie taint. So, Jeff, you did you have some thoughts about the pre-credit sequence? Oh, my God. <laughs> Not, uh, the Aussie taint has just destroyed everything. Um, I, 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 I came into this movie with a different viewpoint, I think, than you guys, because I am a huge Taika Waititi fan. I am a huge fan of this guy. Hunt for the Wilder People and What We Do in the Shadows are like two of my favorite movies, period. I just oh, I love this guy. Yeah, what, what We Do in the Shadows is just amazing, is, is brilliant. It's what, what it does, what it does for those characters it's like it, 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 it sort of it was like an antidote to what uh, Stephanie Meyer did to them. <laughs> but again, I am just such a huge fan of his. So I walked into this. I didn't go in to see a Thor film. I went in to see a Taika Waititi film starring Thor. And if that makes any sense at all. And uh, that, was it? 
Absolutely. I, 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 this, I, like I said, that was within ten. That whole opening sequence, right there. I'm like, okay, this is this is Taiko Watiti. I'm so happy right now. And then I honestly did not think, and I don't know why I didn't think this, but I didn't think the immigrant song was going to be in the film. So yeah. to have that little opening sequence with Thor turning in, in front of Surtur and thank you Clancy Brown. Oh, that was awesome. But then to have the immigrant song actually start for the first time in a Marvel film. And again, when it came to music, I fucking cheered in a movie theater. I agree with that. Mary said at one point, turned to me during the, the film, said, the score sounds so 80s. I said, well, it's by Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo. So <laughs> it comes by it, honestly. Yeah, it's every everything... It's, people had told me, and Scott had actually said he agreed with this, but I had two people tell me that... Um, not only would I love this film, but this would be Mike and Ike's favorite film. And I've actually seen it twice now. Oh, have you? Okay. Oh. Well, I wanted to catch the dialogue that I missed the first time. <laughs> yeah, we, we wanted to go out and see it this morning just so we could catch up because it's been a while. Uh, yeah, and um, no, it's it's I, I love the film e- e- even more. And I, I do firmly believe that this is the calm before the storm that is... Uh, Infinity War. Infinity War. I firmly believe that's why they let him do what he does. This is I, what I think is hysterical is there was a review on IGN. I have to rant for a second. I'm going to talk now. Sorry, guys. But <laughs> there was. I'm going to get some water. I'll be right back. No, <laughs> there was a review on IGN, and I've seen this in a couple of other places where people were talking about how they didn't think certain things were given enough dramatic weight, like Odin's death or the destruction of Asgard. Now, to that, I say, and I've talked to other people, and they kind of agree with me, nobody really gives a shit about the first two Thor films, so there really isn't any dramatic connection there as far as the film itself goes. I think it gave what it needed to give to keep the movie rolling and besides it's a fucking comedy more than anything else i mean it is a superhero film but it's number one more than anything else it's a comedy yeah, oh, yeah. it's a comedy absolutely yeah. i think those are the same people i'll say that who complain that the, the their biggest complaint about the marvel films is that the stakes aren't high enough and i just think that's ridiculous this is one of the darkest marvel movies period i'm sorry whether you're laughing or not that's one of the things i loved about this film is taika watiti i love that i love saying that name managed to take make one of the funniest films i've seen all year and also one of the darkest how many people died in asgard uh odin died uh thor loses a fucking eye i'm about 90 percent sure that we're not going to see bruce banner at all in the next uh, Avengers film, Why? the planet is gone. Well, well, yeah, but I'm pretty. I am pretty sure that Banner will not be seen, and that we will only see oh. Mark Ruffalo playing the Hulk in the next film. Because since we're getting the Mark Ruffalo uh, Hulk solo film over the next three movies, and this was sort of Act One of his arc. Uh, Banner says, if I change into the Hulk, I may never come back. Banner goes splat. There is no way a quote-unquote human being would survive that. But Hulk came back. I will bet you anything that the next film it's going to be all Hulk, and then we're going to have in the final film, at least in that trilogy, Hulk kind of realizing that he and Banner have to live together, which they did kind of do in the comic. Yeah. So I have a feeling that's going to be the Hulk solo film that we're getting. 
I love how the, the I love how the Hulk basically turned into an ill mannered dog toward the end. <laughs> but it's like okay. I mean, the the thing I lo- I loved about it is, is the whole movie just takes the the tropes of the superhero films and turns them on their head. And every single one of these films is, oh, we have to save the world. I think at one point, amongst the many things that Thor brags about is how many times he saved the world. And the whole movie is leading up to, we've got to save Asgard. We have to prevent Ragnarok. We have to stop the destruction. of, And then, it, and then to win, they have to let Asgard be destroyed. And so they're, they're doing it. All right. Well, they're looking at it with this sort of, all right, well, it's sad, but it's the only way to... to stop her and also you know thor goes jumping at the at surter ah, no no back bad hulk bow down down <laughs> don't smack yeah i guess oh if he knocks out the fire monster the whole plan goes all right it's like just uh, he was off the leash but the thing about this speaking of stakes weak stakes are usually the sign of a weak villain which you know i think even the most ardent marvel fan will admit is a continual problem in these films. And I thought Hela was a pretty badass villain. And I liked her backstory. She was hella bad. I liked the, I liked the reveal that she was the the elder child and had, had had previously wielded the hammer. She and her dad had basically conquered the universe before he got religion. So <laughs> speaking of emotional stakes, tell me that all of you didn't at least go awe a little bit at the end when um, he said, I'd hug you if you were here and he threw it and Loki caught it. That was nice. That was nice. It was a, that was a great that that was such a great moment. I mean, I, I was like, ah, <laughs> I was going to say that with all that power, I don't know, Hella. She has all this power, but can't get her eye makeup right. It's just so. Oh my! <laughs> Hard to find waterproof eye makeup. Yeah. It's always out at CVS. I can never. <laughs> this is true. That's it's why she's true. so angry. <laughs> <laughs> she said that she, in the article I read, she said that she she did this film, or she wanted to do the film because she wanted to be in a film with this director, and then that ah, he is yes. who brought her. And that she had read his book on acting, which was titled right. something to the effect of I'll make you look good in the poster or something <laughs> like that. Or you'll look great in the poster or something. Like, I don't know. Somebody look it up. But that's it was it, I, I love the title. I said, yes, I want to work with you, too. <laughs> so am I the only one who did not recognize her except for her lips when she first came on? <laughs> well, I knew who she was. So I, didn't, so I said, why does she look so familiar? <laughs> It's weird. How did this woman? So this villain has stolen Kate Blanchett's lips. Well, that is exactly that is nefarious. That is, that's villainy, all right. Yeah. As John pointed out, so so she's been uh, she's been a a, a a Norse god and an elf. Yeah, I thought she was the evil sister, evil twin of the elven. What was her name? Gad- Galadriel. Galadriel. Oh, I thought she was. Oh, she wasn't Galadriel. It's been so long since I've seen this. She was Galadriel. She was. Did Galadriel have an evil twin? No. This is sounding very soap opera like all of a sudden. She does now. <laughs> well, I will disagree with you on one thing, Jeff. I don't think that nobody care, gives a shit about the the previous two Thor movies. I think the first one has its fans. Uh, I think nobody cares about the second hey. one. Yeah. I, well, honestly, uh, going back to something that uh, John said earlier. The second one earlier. has a Sarsgard. Or no, both of them have Sarsgard. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah, God. Where was yeah. the Sarsgard in this one? There was no Sarsgard in this one. 
It was Sarsgaardless. Holy shit. I was going back to something John said earlier. The only thing that I actually walked out of Thor, I did not like the, th- the first Thor at all. And I walked in only because of Kenneth Branagh, believe it or not. I believe that. The only Could- reason I saw it, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of his as a director. And the two things that I walked out of, and John, you're going to think I'm an idiot. I walked out, well, A, thinking Tom Hiddleston was awesome. But B, I thought Chris Hemsworth was funny as hell. In the first mm-hmm. one? In the first one, I thought he was the only thing that ha- was having any fun in the movie. I-, I-, I walked away thinking he made what was an unlikable character immensely likable. Agreed. And that was the only thing that I took away, was, oh, like two things, that I took away from the, th- from the first um, Thor film. I knew he was funny all the way back then. That's why to me it's like, okay, the Thor films finally caught up to him. Mm. Yeah, he was, mm-hmm. he was funny, but uh, Thor was inadvertently funny. I agreed. Uh, that that, I, that yeah, that I, it really was only because of him. Exactly right. <laughs> that I will give you, but yeah, I mean, he really the character really is a dick in the first film. But I walked out Very with him. I liked yeah. him. I I really liked him, and it was entirely because of Chris Hemsworth. He really fucking rocked that. Well done, man. Glad they killed off his his little entourage in this one. The in one family. fucking scene, that was uh, awesome, man. Yeah, it's like it's a new world. You you're the old guard. Get out. And it's set up Hella is just like an immediate, I'm going to fuck your shit up. Yeah, there was no question about how uh, how big a danger she posed when she just walked in and, and wiped out the, the Warriors 3. And fortunately, to a scheduling conflict, Lady Sif couldn't be with them to die, so she may show up in a different... I was so happy she wasn't there. Well, I have heard that, that pay attention to that, that will come back. Okay. So there, there, there was a reason she was not there. Looking forward to it. That I, I don't know what it was. That was just a hint that it wasn't Feige, but somebody else dropped in some interview somewhere that, that there was a very specific reason why she why Sif was not there. Okay. Well, I thought it was just schedule. It was it was just a scheduling conflict because she's she. It may be, but they're going to use it. She plays a tattooed amnesiac who solves crimes on TV. And I can't believe that show is still on. I oh no that didn't did that not look like a thirteen episode. Failure. Yeah, the second Failure. season, she's gotten new tattoos. Oh, great. What? She emerges again from a uh, duffel bag. Again? Really? Again? again. So, no, in the yeah. third season, you mean? A thir- is it the third season? It's the third yeah. season. I don't follow it. <laughs> you, you know, they, they, they always go back. You know, they, they try to kick it, the duffel bag habit, but they always go back. At this point, I think I would I would stop get, just getting into duffel bags. Don't touch that. Don't touch it. We know what's in it. Don't, don't, don't go there. What's, <laughs> what's, yeah, ink and tattoo needles. That's what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be a more comfortable way to travel. So I have to agree. I think that given how the, the hints that we've heard about how dark the Infinity War Avengers films are going to be, this probably was the last laugh. This probably was... You know, the comic relief before everybody starts to get their head squished by Thanos and his gem-encrusted gauntlet. Which better freaking happen. It will be funny. There will be funny. There will be fun, but then there'll be tragedy. And I will feel bad. The thing about about comedy in these films is that I'm trying to think of any DC character that's been introduced in a movie. and, And aside from Wonder Woman, who had some genuinely charmingly comic moments i really wouldn't care if anybody died i certainly didn't care that superman did 
especially since yeah. he didn't. But However, <laughs> the, except, the exception that proves that rule is the postman, where all the laughs were inadvertent. Okay. All right. Okay. Unintentional laughs, yes, don't count. Those, oh, the postman. What were we <laughs> thinking? Why did we, why did we go see that? Was it like Christmas Day or a something? New, so you a, could a noise, put it in your book. New Year's Day. It was New Year's Day. Okay. Good God. Yeah, I don't even know if we were... I guess I was writing the book then. No, you were writing it then. I just mean if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't you have necessarily put it in your book. You Things guys, had to happen. Things happen for a reason is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And so why you, were you not hungover? I mean, why did you go New Year's? What's wrong with you Because it was people? New... Uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Maybe we were hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you accidentally well, wanted it. Have, Certainly, uh, we didn't. Uh, we didn't make a good decision. <laughs> we did well, not you guys saw. Good. You saw Waterworld. You saw Titanic. You saw Coastman. We paid our dues. I you, you're saying. you went to go see things that seemed rather like perverse to go see. Oh, like, for wait, you, we saw Showgirls too. Sure, after the fact, sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a masochistic relationship. I think. <laughs> Again, I I think you're right. Drinking was definitely involved in the postman. <laughs> however, mm-hmm. we're however we're talking about a good movie. So yeah, yes. Let's 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 do the Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bummed. Real fast interruption, if I may. Taika Waititi's book on acting is entitled "Trust Me, You're Gonna Look Cool on the Poster," and um, apparently he is now in talks to direct the live action Akira movie and has Ooh. pledged that he will cast Asian unknowns. Well, I don't okay. think, yeah, I don't think there's a question about that. I mean, he certainly has, he certainly has uh bona fides being a, a person of uh, South Pacific uh, ancestry himself. It will be an interesting experiment because if it does well and hopefully it does, then uh, Hollywood studio heads will be willing to do it again. If it doesn't do well, they're not going to do that for again for a long time. They're going to continue casting white celebrities in those if they do more of those. Yeah, but, but adaptations that, that didn't help with Ghost in the Shell. No, I'm just, but that doesn't mean that they're if a, a female lead film doesn't do well, that shuts it down. It doesn't matter that a bunch of male lead movies flop, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the reasoning. That, that goes through people's head. They say, well, see, you cast a bunch of unknown Asians. We're not going to do that again for a while. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. You're, and you're right. Yeah. And, and, if, and if Wonder Woman had been a flop, maybe we wouldn't be getting the Captain Marvel movie that's coming. Right. Yes. Uh, that's all of, I'm saying. So hopefully it does well. Yes, hopefully. And speaking of which, one of the breakout characters from this is, is Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie, who I think fit into yes. the tone very, very well. I just didn't think people even knew what a Valkyrie was. Well, Sorry. she's a she's a character well, in the you comics. Read the comics, yeah. Oh, oh, well, I just meant historically. That's what I was thinking. Oh, oh, come on! We've we've all we've all heard Wagner. We've all I... seen Bugs Bunny. We've all seen but, Bugs no, Bunny. No, but we haven't. I mean, I have, but kids, no. No, these I'm, kids today. I... No, it's true. And the kids don't care. They just oh, Valkyrie. That's yeah, isn't that that like. isn't that that Tom Cruise movie? Tom Cruise movie, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what? I can guarantee you that nobody in 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 the world would think of that movie. <laughs> you that? you were the only that. person who made that connection. I I never have even so, I even so forgot. <laughs> I forgot. So this was de- yeah. So this was definitely the funniest Marvel movie. The fact that they let uh, Taika Waititi ah. Uh, 
do what he does. And I mean, this, like I said, I mean, this to me, this to me is a, is a his, him movie more than it is a Marvel movie for me. But I mean, the fact that Marvel said, go ahead, go balls to the wall. I'm genuinely impressed. I really thought I, it, the fact that they would let him get as weird as he got with this thing. Well, so, I mean, of... it, it gives me hope. It really it does. You know, after Strange, you know, I mean, phase three, phase three is giving me a lot of hope. Right. Well, yeah. I, I think that the, the fact that um, that the film deconstructs superheroes in kind of the same way that um, what we do in the shadows deconstructed you know, vampires and, and mm-hmm. werewolves. Yeah, I think it, it had a highly necessary lack of reverence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. I think it was a movie where I wouldn't have been surprised to see the Guardians of the Galaxy kind of traipse in. I expected them to show up at the end. Yeah, really. I, yeah. yeah. That big I, ship I, I thought was the Guardians of the Galaxy. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. It just bugs me that everyone's saying that this has a Guardians of the Galaxy vibe and this is like Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm like, it's a Taika Watiti film. This is like what we do in the shit. Damn it. Watch this. <laughs> sorry. Rant done. I'm sorry. I well, just, it bugs me. It, well, that, that bugs me. That it's, I understand that it bugs you, but for the rest of us who haven't seen a Taika Watiti film, that's what it reminds us of. Yeah, it's it's and all in that and in this universe, it's the closest thing. That, well, that's right. true. Yeah, I mean, it's all frame of reference. How many? I mean, lots and millions of people have seen Guardians of the Galaxy, but let let's face it, what we do in the shadows was kind of an art house hit. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Although that's getting a TV show now. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's I, I it's kind of it's a, it's a spinoff TV show. I can't remember what it's about. I think Tycho is producing it. Uh, it's going to run on some network in New Zealand, and they're working on the worldwide distribution rights. Well, here's the thing. So Marvel hires a director with some TV credits and and an art house hit to his name and produces this film. And then DC DC hires uh, or not not DC. It's uh, is it 20th Century Fox hires, you know, Josh Trank and uh, they get Fantastic Four. That was I didn't didn't even get through the first 20 minutes. Slowly he turns. Speaking of of tainting the relationship here. Yes. Scott. Sorry, sorry. How long was I in therapy for that film? I I meant to say uh, the film film about four people that was not fantastic. Oh, I know what you meant to say, you bastards. We we don't say (laughs) it. It's it's like the Scottish play. We don't mention it. (laughs) It's like Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) I want to know what you guys thought of Anthony Hopkins playing Loki. Oh, I thought that was funny. The way he was like, uh, what? No. Oh, look who it is. Yeah. I think that he oh, did, he oh did, shit. Yes, he did sweaty <laughs> oh shit very well. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Everything about that scene was just priceless. I mean, the first time I saw it, I missed almost all of the dialogue because I couldn't stop laughing over seeing Matt Damon. <laughs> in that, in that I wig, even, yeah. I didn't even realize that it was Sam Neill at first. I no, completely yes, really right. missed out right. that it was him. I could not get over seeing Matt Damon. That just, I, and all I could think of, unfortunately, is Team America, Matt Damon, and that just made me laugh even more. I kept wondering, wait, is that just an Asgardian actor, or is it Matt Damon on Asgard? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's. That Loki brought him been. over and said, I want you to be in my show. I want, it. I want that comic book. Well, 
as we know, for, just take a look at his IMDb. Matt Damon will take any gig. <laughs> He's this close to being Nicolas Cage. I actually have a question. Is Jeff Goldblum's character supposed to be like part of the same alien race that um, Javier Bardeen? I think you mean Benicio del Toro. And I'm sorry, Benicio. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. They all look alike. They are actually the characters are actually related. The collector. Because they both have that little thing on their lip. Yep. No, they, they, they said, um, someone said that fairly early on when they were filming this, they asked him about the, the look and it was like, yeah, he and the, he and what, the collector are actually, they're from the same species. They're, they are from the same. Yeah. Okay. They're both celestials or eternals or something. They're what, something, but what, yeah, they are related. One of those cosmic Marvel races. I can't wait for the for the Blu-ray just for all of the Jeff Goldblum rants. According to Taika Waititi, <laughs> there's a five-minute rant that Goldblum goes on about tipping at a restaurant that didn't fit the film at all, but it's fucking hysterical, and he couldn't. He can't wait for it to be on the DVD. I can't wait for it either. Well, <laughs> apparently, there was a lot of uh, a lot of improv uh, scenes in this, including the the, the scene where um, uh, Thor is. Uh, selecting a weapon for the uh, gladiator pit, and he's talking you know, wistfully about his hammer to Korg. Apparently, a lot of that was improvised. So there, there's then, probably a lot of good, a lot of good cutting room floor material. Sounds well, like I'm, he had a relationship with your hammer. <laughs> <laughs> your hammer pulled you off the ground. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe they did. They got away. It was like, thanks, Disney. Thanks for the masturbation joke. Appreciate it. Actually, it's not even masturbation. It's a hand job joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, if they can kill everybody in Rogue One, they can give us a hand job joke in a Thor film. That's the law. And if they take over 21st Century Fox, they can do a Deadpool. They probably mm-hmm. they kill people. Yeah, they, they, they don't. But they don't so. do. They, Disney does not do R-rated movies. So goodbye, Deadpool. If that happens. No, no, Disney doesn't. But Marvel might. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mark. Yeah, that's a, that's their, a valid point. There's Disney films, there's Buena Vista, and then there's the other, what's the third one that does the R-rated uh, films? It used there's, to be Touchstone. Is that even still around? But, I don't know. Yeah. Is, but, but they had they had the various divisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to say, well, Marvel, Marvel, so far, Marvel Studios has not done an R-rated movie. But, I mean, they, they, they are one of the producing uh, companies behind Deadpool, so. Yeah. I don't see any uh, Disney castle in the front of the Marvel movies, so Mm-mm. that's all I'm saying. No, yeah, right. that's yeah, it's a valid point. And if there was a Disney uh, castle in front of Deadpool, he would be hanging some guy off a parapet by his leg and then letting him drop. This is true too. It's a very nice flat. <laughs> Uh, that would be awesome, actually, if they did that. Right, and just as he splatted, yeah, like, then there'd be that 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 uh, uh, Tinkerbell would the go goofy overhead. laugh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tinkerbell would sweep overhead, and there'd be that arc of fairy dust. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, if, no, if Tinkerbell they did was spinning, try to save Tinkerbell the guy, was, but finally, oh, he was too heavy, and they both get splatted. Because <laughs> oh, no. it's Deadpool. Oh. It's Deadpool. That's what would happen. See, now, no, now she. Think, then we'd see her emerging from the water, coughing and c- collapsing. She would survive, but barely. 
Because that's See, now I want to only survive. because Deadpool Tink- clapped. Tinkerbell, <laughs> right? And also because Tinkerbell is like a cockroach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> super kinda. hard to kill. If we clap enough or something. So somebody was going to say something. I don't think so. I got mm-hmm. Amtrak. It's all good. We're, got, we're mourning Tinkerbell. Amtrak. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Tinkerbell's oh, tough. Tinkerbell, 1956, <laughs> or 2017. The in memoriam at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> the, the little scene of her in the lantern. <laughs> and then they, they try to get every, they, they try to get the audience at at, uh, at the Oscars to clap, but you know clap. they're all, they're all entertainment people and they're all pervs and they're way too jaded and they can't be bothered, so she's just dead. And then, but everybody's actually really ignoring the fact that they used the wrong clip, and it's actually Julia Roberts in that awful film Hook instead. And everybody's trying not to point out the mistake. Right. And then everyone. But then magically, because no one clapped, Julia Roberts dies. <laughs> oh man. I'm sorry. That this was turned dark. A, this got this took a dark. We time. we killed a lot of people. <laughs> Killed a lot of people in the show. Sweetheart. But hey, you know what? They they killed all of Asgard for the most part. Exactly. So. Okay, but uh, trust Disney to they'll create something if they want to do it. They will. I let, I'll put it this way. I, I trust Disney to leave no money on the table. Yes. They're, they're the the production company that'll do Deadpool will be Disney after dark. <laughs> Dad. Dad. Dad, exactly. Deadpool, a dad movie. Then, then Deadpool, yes. Deadpool. <laughs> Disney After Dark, four dads by dads. <laughs> they can start a whole new thing. Now you have the living dad. Okay, I see where this is going and stop. Dad again. Oh. <laughs> all that being said, I am looking forward to Coco, where they take over all of the Latino market and for take all of our money willingly. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. <laughs> I loved the book of um, the book of the book of life. Uh huh. That was such a good movie, and so I'm looking really looking forward to Coco and seeing what they do. With it's the- doing well in Mexico. It's been out. We were out. We were down there for my birthday, and it's already out. People mm-hmm. are seeing it down there and loving it. So that bodes well. So it's it's not it's not a they went out of their way not to be offensive. Anybody. Holy shit, it's so funny. I showed a, a clip to my parents, to my mm-hmm. family while we were there. I said, look at this. This is, they get this right. Uh, <laughs> it's the, I mean, it's a scene, uh, it's a clip that's floating around. And if you've seen it, it's the, where the, where the, the, the little lead, the boys, he, he, he's care- holding the guitar. And then his abuelita comes out and he, and she starts uh, w- waving around her chancla and, and hitting the, the mariachi with it. And that is just so funny that everybody in my family was laughing so hard because it is so true. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally funny because it's true. It's literally funny because it's true. We all we all had that grandma. Well, here's my question. So in this in this conception of the afterlife, uh, everyone's a skeleton. So when so when you die uh, and you're Mexican, does your skin just immediately slough off uh, and then you go to heaven or do you have to wait for the insects to pick your corpse clean 
before you can get into the afterlife? Or are some people in the afterlife skeletons and then some people are like in a, an uncomfortable transitional phase where they're just sort of rotting and nobody really wants to, they're not really a full part of the social scene until they're just, you know, a complete skeleton. Okay, I don't want to hear any shit about my Julia Roberts joke anymore. <laughs> I think it depends on when the body is found. I mean, if it's found by... <laughs> oh, for the <laughs> love of God! If it's found by Dr. Brennan, uh, Bones, uh, it's oh, going to become no. a skeleton. All right. Like, fascinating, no, irritating. Fascinating, the, irritating. Everybody, when? here's the thing, Scott. Everybody eventually turns into a skeleton. Unless you were completely obliterated in like an explosion or something or right. vaporized. Near war. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, when do you, that, when that's did different. the skinwalkers come in? The skinwalkers. Skinwalkers. Texas aren't skin those, those shapeshifters of Native American shapeshifters? Yeah. It's a Native people? American. Yeah, they well, they actually wear the skins of other people to turn into oh. or other animals to turn into that animal. They're like what Arya Stark has become. Oh, right. <laughs> sort of. Spoiler yeah. alert. Sorry. Right. But but you know, with pelts instead but of But anyway, the, if anybody's actually curious, the the skeletons and the the Mexican culture, the whole thing, it kind of goes back to a very uh, populist notion when you know there's the poor versus the rich and mm. an artist said yeah well when you die we're all equal and that's the point everybody's the same Aww. underneath all the flesh we're all the skeletons it's the exact same thing that's I, I am interested that's exactly what I wanted to know thank you you're welcome that explains it all right so uh, as Jeff was screaming fascinating irritating <laughs> so let's get to that and uh, Jeff since you're so eager you go first I don't know. I've been thoroughly enjoying this Amtrak trip. Um, <laughs> okay. Fascinating is honestly just how much Marvel let Taika Waititi, God, I love that name, do his thing. Mm-hmm. I'm genuinely surprised. I walked in wanting to see a, a film of his, and I walked out having seen a film of his, his take on a superhero film. And that just made me very, very happy. Um, the irritating thing for me is that it has taken, how many films is this now in the Marvel universe? Oh, jeez. I have no idea. hundred. I think I ran out of fingers and toes, so I don't know. Okay. All right. So uh, it annoys me that it's only been in the last three films. It's irritating me that in the last three films have there been movies that I have genuinely liked. It irritates me that it's taken this long for them to make movies that I have actually walked out going, fuck yeah! Okay, you loved... You, you didn't loved, like uh, the first uh, uh, Captain America? Uh, it was okay. It didn't I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? I mean, it didn't do... It didn't make me jump... It, I, I didn't love it. I liked it. I was thoroughly impressed because I was so sure. It was like, how the hell are they going to adapt Captain America? It's so rah, rah, USA. And how can you make Captain America a worldwide hit? And, and you know, it's so of its time. And not being jingoistic. Exactly. I, that's the word I was thinking of. And, um, and they did. And I just, and maybe it's because I went in with that opinion and then I came out so jazzed about it. But, Understood. Yeah. Anyway. I walked it. This is this is me being the movie geek. I know that the guy who directed it also directed the Rocketeer, so I knew we could. Ha- I knew he knew the time period. Joe Johnson. Mm-hmm. I knew, yeah, Joe. I knew Joe Johnson can do a film in that time period. And again, me not being that big of a superhero, 
I haven't, you know, I know them, but I don't know the comics. I, I, I just walk in kind of going, all right, is this going to be a good movie or not? And I walked out going, all right, that was an okay movie. What about Iron Man? Uh, 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 it was okay. Most of, again, the, only because it has taken a long time for them to get characters that I genuinely like. I'm not, I didn't like Tony Stark as a character. It was entirely Robert Downey's personality that made the film for me. I thought Tony Stark was kind of a dick. Well, he yes. is. And yeah, having their main character be a dick was fun, but I mean, that wasn't part of the film, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The fact that he was a dick wasn't an aspect of the film, so to speak. I mean, they kind of went that way, but not the first film. Uh, he was the repentant hero. I mean, but I mean, it was just, there have been only, like, the, the, the films that have really jumped out and made me go, holy fuck, these are amazing films. Uh, Winter Soldier, One Quarter of Civil War, Doctor Strange, and now Thor. You like Spider-Man, though, didn't you, Jeff? I, 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 it's actually, no, that's true. Spider-Man is up there on that list as well. You are very right. So Does it count, though? Me, yes, yes, it counts. Okay, it counts. For me, the, the genius of that is is that you had this asshole, uh, Tony Stark, which is a forerunner of the repented Tony Stark who's seen what an asshole he's been all of his life and, how, and what it's done. So right. this was like a genius arc that went, started with the very first film. And it just, I think it's great. As an arc, I agree with you, but not knowing that there was going to be a film after, yes, you know, an arc after right. it, just sure. looking at it as a single film, he's just a dick. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, uh, but no, you know, you're right. What they've, what they have, I give them, whether I like the films or love the films or not, I give Marvel so much credit for the way they've set up character arcs over movies. I mean, as universe building goes, fucking total respect. Right. There you go. I do not deny that in any way, shape, or form. It's just a personal thing. Only a few of the films have genuinely grabbed me. And this was not what I meant to go into my irritating thing. That went on far too long. I apologize. Okay. Did everyone enjoy um, Doctor Strange cameo? Loved yes. It. Oh, God, yeah. But I, I will say for me, I, I it was so jarring. So much of this pop, this, that, there, here, oh, shit. It was disorienting, and I get that that's kind of was the point of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, whoa. No, well, I enjoyed I it, but I just thought it was a little much. Just before before we wrap up on that, because Jeff said the, the sort of, you know, holy fuck, yes feeling. Um, I am kind of afraid of Avengers Infinity War and, and what's coming because I have a feeling it's going to be emotionally punishing. I, I've gotten very involved with these characters. But I think there's one more Holy Fuck movie coming before that happens, and that's uh, Black Panther. Okay. Yeah. <gasps> oh, yeah. yeah. I can't wait. Could, I want to see that so badly. Yeah, it could be wrong, but just from what I've seen, that has Holy Fuck written all over it. You got a point. Yep, yep, yep. And I hope Lupita Nyong'o is really in it as much as the um, commercials imply. I hope that what we see in the commercials isn't all she is. Yeah. I need more Lupita. She was born in Mexico, you know. I did not know that, no. She speaks Spanish. She does. Really? Well, she speaks like five languages. I mean, she's amazing. So Jeff's irritating. No, I was done. Like I said, the fact oh. that it took Marvel this long to actually start giving me movies that I genuinely like, and then we got off on that huge tangent, which I apologize right. for. Well, you're not okay. you're not an easy audience for these movies. You don't you were never a superhero fan, and we've we've been having this discussion for ten years now. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that the f- the last three four movies have done more than 
than entertain you, but if you know some of them have actually won you over, I, I is probably the strongest testament to what Marvel is doing with this universe they're building than anything else I can think of. I mean, I freely admit, I can, I genuinely can't wait for Infinity War. Yeah, because it's I it's, can't it wait may... to see what they what the brothers are going to do with this now, and the chance that there's lots of people it'll kill off a lot of its cast, which you love. Yes. Well, well, it's deserved. If he doesn't wipe out half of existence, I'm going to be pissed. After 18 fucking films, yeah, he been... needs to be the baddest bad guy of all time. There has been, yes, there's been some serious buildup to Thanos. Okay, uh, John? Oh, so for me, fascinating was how they, they went with this film and uh, increased the fun level and decreased the mindless destruction level. That's, I mean, because after a while, these films are just like we just see things blowing up and crashing and and uh, destroying of cities and stuff. That kind of got got old. Um, but Thank you, DC. Found, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And the thing that I found irritating was so he says that's it. I can't beat her. She's stronger than I am. There's nothing that I can do. Oh wait, let me let loose the guy whose ass I kicked really handily and let him go get her. I don't get that. <laughs> well, he only beat him because he had the, the hammer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and she, and yes, she crushed the but hammer. He's now more powerful without the hammer. So that's not it. It it I think it's just that it was, you know, something greater than everybody. It's a prophecy and because of the prophecy. Uh, well, he he the, the only thing that allowed Surtur to incinerate Asgard, destroy it, was because he got his crown back. That was his magical, I remember. The, the, the whole plan depended on Loki going to the treasure room, getting the, the crown that Thor stole from Surtur in the beginning, and Surtur said, you know, I'm diminished, I'm not, I'm not at my full power, yeah, but, but if I was... Yeah, so but that's said, John's that's, point. Is that That's part of my point. At the, yeah. I was very confused because at the beginning he was saying, if I get my crown, I will be unstoppable and I will destroy and I'm saying, what is this crown? And then he says, is that thing on your head? Well, you already have it. So why are you not on? Didn't he? Didn't he say he had to? He had to be in Asgard with it. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, I think you're right. Yes. Maybe, maybe. So he shows him in Asgard, <laughs> yeah, and then Loki gives him they the crown. The, then, well, they put the crown in the fire, re reconstitute him somehow. That was it. That was and, it. The crown had to be in the in the eternal flame. Yeah. Uh, so it was too. Yeah, it was. It was. He, yeah, he needed the eternal flame from Asgard. So they set it up. I mean, they were. It was. But it was one of those things. I think uh, details that were lost because we were laughing too much. This is true. Yeah, that's why it took between the all of us to go. Oh no, he said that. Oh, I missed. <laughs> and, and we don't know if he destroyed her or not. So no, we don't. No, we don't. They could both that's come back. Very true. Yeah. I'm about ninety percent sure that we will see her again, if only because in the comic, Thanos courted death. She is the goddess of death in the movie verse. They're not actually going to bring death in the comic, so if they follow the courting death thing, she's gonna be the death that Thanos wants. And she's Cape Blanchett. Exactly. There you go, right. So she and can she, she can expect she can expect a booty call from Thanos. And she'll bring her. She'll I'll bring her lips with her. Not. Exactly. I'd or somebody's lips. She's she's a known lip thief. <laughs> Maybe it'll be Julia Roberts' lips. Yeah. Oh no. G- given that Julie's not using them anymore because of her tragic oh, death no. during this podcast. <laughs> I believe. I believe. <laughs> okay, she's back. No, no, it's no, no, it's the tink from Hook. I don't believe. 
I'll <laughs> clap for that. Agnes Congeniality 3. No, that was Sandra Bullock. That was Sandra Bullock. That was Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Never mind. They're not interchangeable. Stop it. Sorry, they all look alike to me. I know. This, this, this is why your human centipede experiment failed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Mary? Um, fascinating. Okay, fascinating uh, for me was how well Thor adapted to not being the god of thunder anymore. He actually, even though he was like being conscripted into uh, being a gladiator, he kind of adapted to that better than I expected him to. I'm sure it helped when he saw it was Hulk. He felt more more positive about that. So that was my fast. I thought he would be destroyed after mm-hmm. he lost his hammer. Yeah, there was a lot less. Yeah, there was a lot less mopey emo stuff. Than, I thought it was going to be very was. angsty. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a Marvel film, not a DC uh, film. So yay. Yeah, you know, I I do have an overarching issue. He's the god of thunder, not the god of lightning. You know, so yeah. basically he makes loud sounds. Is what he does. <laughs> you can't see thunder when you bring it down. Thor, the, the fart god. Exactly. Thank you. It was what I was thinking. He's the god of disturbing the peace. <laughs> He's the god of somebody, please roll down a window. <laughs> and my irritating was not enough Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Wait for the DVD. There you go. There you go. That's we what have, I have we, to do. We have a reason. You have incentive. We have a reason to buy the DVD. <laughs> uh, Blanche. The uh, fascinating for me was the all the soundtrack. All the music was so wonderful and perfect. I loved it all. It it was funny. It was inspiring. It was motivating. It was just. It was great. But the irritating thing was that it reminded me how absolutely sadly and sorely lacking. The music was in the second Guardians of the Galaxy film when it's supposed mm. to be the, the greatest escape ever. Second, volume two. And I was just disgusted at how awful it was. Well, they didn't so. even use one of the songs that they were using in like the trailers. The Fox on the Run, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, awesome mix number two was not that awesome, was it? Was not awesome. <laughs> it's mix number two, as in number two. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Um, Fair enough. Uh, for me, uh, I guess the, the fascinating thing is, um, well, well, John uh, often says that one thing he likes about the Marvel films is how self-aware they are. And I think this took that to such a delightful extreme. It's meta and a constant, the, the, just the plot and, and the, the directorial flourishes are a constant critique of superhero movie tropes and conventions. And it manages that only because it trusts its audience to be smart, uh, smart enough to realize that when you drill down, the bedrock of this genre is deeply silly. And it's all the more so when you then try to erect a hundred story tower of grim, dark pretentiousness on top of that foundation. And I'm looking at you, Christopher Nolan, and I'm looking at <laughs> you, Zack Snyder. Um, irritating thing, I guess, my, my irritation level for this movie was extraordinarily low. I had very, I had very few uh, irritation antibodies flowing through me at all during the runtime. But I will say that um, while I like the character of Valkyrie, uh, it annoys me that she's a Valkyrie named Valkyrie. It's. <laughs> it's I didn't even think about that. It's like a. Pre- did I. It's like a pre- police procedural where the hero is named uh, Badge W. Pigfuzz. 
<laughs> just just seems on the nose. Well, so. until the the Force Awakens, I had no idea that stormtroopers actually had designations. Uh, they were just clones. They were stormtrooper. No, they they get in the in the Star Wars. Um, they're calling them by numbers. When um, are they? TK four two one. Why aren't you at your post? <laughs> exactly. You have. You have to tell them apart. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> just well, for payroll, you know? That's true. Kiwi clone number one, Kiwi clone number two. That's true. How are you, you, you going to put these guys into QuickBooks? One last real quick thing about Thor that I, just, I wanted to say is out of, I, out of everything in the Marvel Universe so far, and I'm going to say even DC, this felt the most... Like I was watching a comic book movie. Mm. The color, the music, for... the vibe. It just felt like a comic book from when I was a kid. Oh. More than Doctor Strange? Yeah. yeah. Well, well Doc, oh, Doc, no. Doctor, Doctor Strange got that Steve Ditko uh, psychedelia in there. But this movie leaned so hard into the comic. Jeff is absolutely right. They used really obvious Jack Kirby design elements. You know the 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 zigzagging lines that terminated in in circles. It it could have been lifted out of any mid sixties Jack Kirby book. They they really leaned hard into that. And yeah, absolutely. This this has no shame about its comic book roots at all. Then if no one has any final thoughts, don't want to cut anyone off. Uh, just um, <coughs> no. Nope. Just a call. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was me. That's that's fine. I just I just wanted to pause long enough so it got super awkward. (laughs) It it worked. Mission accomplished. (laughs) All right. Thanks very much to our new movie crew, John Zura, Blanche Ramirez, Mary Clevenger, Jeff and I, and Mary. We'll be back very shortly in another show about what's going on in TV sci-fi. Until then, later. <laughs> hey, yo, to hell, yo. Yep. That's okay, trying I... to kill a wabbit. <laughs> <laughs>